You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Psalm chapter 126, we'll read this uh, six verses together, and uh, we'll begin in verse number one. Ready, begin. When the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, The Lord hath done great things for them. The Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you would bless the time as we look at your word. I thank you for this psalm. I thank you for the truths that are contained in this psalm. And I pray that you'd help me tonight to do my very best to explain and to present and to uh, show these truths as you've showed them to me. I pray that you would help your word to come alive. I pray that there'd be something in this psalm that you would use to speak to each and every person here, each and every person who is listening, each and every uh, person who is uh, watching this service. I pray that the word of God would go forth with power. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do the work in our hearts and lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. And I do want to say, I didn't mention it this morning uh, because they've been here for uh, a week or so, but Brother and Mrs. Vibey, we're glad to have you back uh, with us tonight. And then uh, Brother Nathan, glad to have your uh, sister and brother-in-law, Aaron and Sarah, and uh, we're thankful for you. And uh, some of these folks, we might just need to talk them into moving here. I don't know, you know. Easy for me to say because it's not my family, but, you know, uh, we are so thankful for you. And then, um, Kendall, good to have your, your sister with you uh, tonight. We're glad to have Mom with you. And uh, so good to see you. And by the way, I don't know, Brother Dan, I don't know if you know this or not, but David and Thomas and Jake do sing together. There's a video out somewhere of those guys singing together. Now, I don't know if there's one with Brother Edmund singing with them. Does that exist, Brother Edmund? Doesn't exist? Not yet, not yet, but we'll work on it. But that was wonderful. Thank you, ladies, for singing. I did not, uh, I did not even realize y'all were working on that until I, uh, I, I, I got, I had a little hint when I came by here and I saw Kendall over there and then I saw them all getting together and I thought, this is gonna be great. And that was a blessing to see, hear you all sing together and see you all being together as a family. That's wonderful. Psalm 126, I would like to share a few thoughts. I, uh, amazingly enough, I was meeting with the family this week for Miss Eloise Harris, and they mentioned this psalm, and I, I even, I asked them, repeated it. I said, now, this is the psalm, and they said, yes, this is the psalm, and they, they talked about how that this psalm had been a blessing to Miss Eloise, and uh, this was one of the psalms that was on my list. I won't preach the same message I preached this afternoon. Um, and some of you might wish I preached the same message because I was about seven or eight minutes this afternoon. I'll be about an hour or two tonight. But I'd like to share some thoughts from Psalm 126. 
And I'd like for you to see, we're just going to start right there in verse number one. I want you to see the setting of this psalm. We see that this is centered around an act of God. This was something that God did that was miraculous. This was something that only God could do. You see, the children of Israel, and we're, we're going through this on Wednesday nights, they, uh, uh, in Jeremiah, it was predicted, it was prophesied that they would go into 70 years of captivity. Now, when you go into captivity, you're in trouble because you no longer have anything that you own. You don't have any weapons. You don't have any army. You don't have any houses. You don't have any uh, uh, cities. You have zero. You are a slave. You're in bondage. You're in captivity. And they went into Babylonian captivity, and the Babylonians were the number one power in the world. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar, there was, there was no one greater at the time. He had already defeated uh, the Egyptians, and he had already put down all the other nations, and, and Judah was easy. I mean, that was really not even much of a fight. So they're in Babylonian captivity, and it's pretty hopeless. There's no end in sight. Because Nebuchadnezzar was the king, and they had a, a few others there, but then it came time for Belshazzar to be the king. It's found in Daniel chapter 5. And in Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar was, was not a great king, but he had a fortress city. There was no way to get in and out of Babylon, and they had supplies in Babylon and food in Babylon. They could have, they could have withstood a siege for a year just with what they had in the city. They had a river that ran right through the city, so their water supply was fine. Well, on that night, Daniel chapter 5 says, the king of Babylon, Belshazzar, he called for all of the golden vessels that had been in the temple in Jerusalem. He called for them, and they were having a party. They were drinking. They were worshiping false gods. They were mocking. They were blaspheming the God of heaven. And there appeared something that night that scared everyone in that room. There was the finger of a man's hand that began to carve into the wall a message. And that message that was carved into the wall were the words, many, many, tekel Eupharsin. And what that message meant, and Daniel came and interpreted, is God told Belshazzar, he said, you have been weighed in the balances and you've come up short. And this night, your kingdom is going to be divided amongst the Medes and the Persians. Now, Belshazzar was pretty impressed with that interpretation from Daniel. He actually honored Daniel. He made him third in command, and he said, wow, that was really good, Daniel, and I don't think Belshazzar thought that was going to happen. There's no way anybody was getting into Babylon. But that night, because God declared it, because God promised judgment on the Babylonians, that night, the medial persian army was able to stop up the Euphrates River. They were able to march into the city without having to raise a sword, and they marched in the city through the riverbed. They marched into the city, and the city was having a drunken party. The city uh, was not even concerned about an enemy. And that very night, the Babylonian Empire fell, and Cyrus, the king of the Medes and Persians, comes into power. Say, well, that didn't help Judah. Oh, yes, it did. 
because King Cyrus made a decree and he allowed the Jews to be released. He allowed them to go back to their land. That was a miracle. Only God could do that. They couldn't figure out an escape plan. They couldn't get enough weapons. They couldn't get enough horses. They couldn't knock down the wall. They couldn't get out. They were captives. They were in bondage. But God turned the captivity. You see, only God could do that. I see number one in this passage, there was an act of God. It was a miracle. God moved. God stepped in. It says when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, when God did it. I want to tell you, I want to remind us tonight that God is still in the miracle working business. You say, well, God hasn't done anything for me. Well, it might be because of that attitude. It might be because of our lack of faith. It might be because we're so full of the world, we don't have room for God to get in and work. But I want to tell you, if God is not working in your life, that's not because he's not able. And that's not because he's lost his power. God is able to do the miraculous. There was an act of God. God turned the captivity. Number two, I see the amazement. It says in verse one, when that happened, God's people we were like them that dream. They're in shock. There's no way. You can't explain this. You could not have predicted this. If you were to make a list of 10 ways that you're getting out of Babylon, that would not have been on your list. If you made a list of 100 ways, that would not have been on your list. The new king, the king of the Medes and Persians comes in and says, go back. You're free to go back. And not only are you free to go back, I'll help you go back. And I'll help you build the temple. And I'll supply the needs. And I'll do everything to make it easy for you to go back to your land and to have your freedom. They were amazed. They were in shock. Literally, they were asking themselves, is this a dream? This is too good to be true. I imagine they were pinching themselves or maybe pinching each other or saying, wait a minute, did we really just hear what we think we heard? Did they really just say we're free to go? Did they really say we can go back? They were amazed. I want to tell you, friend, I'm still amazed that God would save me. I'm still amazed that God would bless me. I'm amazed that God would use me. Maybe some of you, you remember when you walked across a platform and they gave you a diploma. You were really amazed because you knew what kind of a student you were. And you thought miracles do happen and God still answers prayer and God is still on the throne because only God could do that. But maybe that was a, an amazing feeling when you graduated from high school and graduated from college. I remember the night that my wife and I, we got married, March 15th, 2002, and Washington, Iowa, and it was too good to be true. I'm just thankful that love is blind, and I'm thankful that uh, she didn't change her mind, you know? I'm just glad that, hey, somehow, some way, thank you, Lord. Then God gave us children, and each of those children, you just, and you know how it is. I was thinking, Brother uh, Curry, this, this morning as I was driving by, and Curry and Haley had your little grandbaby. Curry and uh, Tracy had your grandbaby, and your whole, it's just, a new baby. That's just a miracle. 
And, and you are, you're in shock, you're in amazement. You think, wow, look at this life that God created. I think about serving God in the ministry. Sometimes it just, it seems too good to be true that God would use us. That God would use us to teach a Sunday school class, to sing in a choir, to work on a bus route, to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want to tell you, I'm amazed. I'm amazed that God would not only save us, but God would use us and God would bless us. And the children of, of, of Israel, they're in amazement. They, they were in amazement that God was so good to them. We were like them that dream. We couldn't believe how good God had been to us. I want to tell you, and I hope you, I hope you know this, I hope this is not a, a shock to you, but I'm amazed that God would give me the privilege to be the pastor of this church. It is a privilege. It is an honor, and I thank God for it. I thank God for you. I thank God for this church. I thank God for your faithfulness, not under just normal circumstances, but through a pandemic, through online services, and drive-in services, tent services, and revised schedule, and revised seating. Some of you, you didn't even know it was possible to switch pews in here. That's a miracle in and of itself. And you still keep coming to church and somebody took your pew. You say, who is it? Well, we'll blame Brother Dan for the signs. Or, or did Brother Nathan make those? Brother Nathan? Yeah, we'll blame Brother Nathan. It's not the pastor's fault, let me tell you that. We'll, we'll point that on the staff right away. But I'm thankful for the privilege to pastor and to serve God and to be here at this church with God's people. God's been so good. I hope you never get over the amazement. I hope you never get over the thrill. I hope you never get tired of serving God and living for God. It's the greatest life in all the world. Number one, the act of God. It was a miracle. Number two, the amazement. They were like them that dream. And then verse three, I see the alleviation. It says in verse number two, uh, then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Well, what did the Lord do for them? He turned their captivity. He took away the suffering. He took away the hardships. He took away the pain. He took away the hopelessness. And God took that away. He alleviated that. But it doesn't stop there. God didn't just take away the bad. God stuck in the good. And that's how God works. He not only takes away the bad, but God blesses us and God uh, daily pours out his benefits upon us. God gave them joy and rejoicing where once there was sorrow and tears. I shared this afternoon how that there was no hope for God's people, but God gave them hope. There was no happiness. There was only sorrow, but God gave happiness. There was self-suffering and there was sickness, but God gave them healing. And I want to tell you, God's given us hope. God's alleviated uh, the hopelessness and the despair, and God has given us hope. God has given us happiness. God has given us healing. God has given us heaven and eternity and streets of gold and gates of pearl where we'll be with our loved ones. 
where we'll be with Jesus, the one who died for us, where there'll be no more sorrow and no more pain. The alleviation, thank God for how he turned the captivity, how he took away the captivity and he gave them freedom. I see number four, the announcement. Verses two and three. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. Now that's good. That, that's a good start. When people will say about you, the Lord has done great things for that person. The Lord has done great things for those folks. The Lord has done great things for them. That's, that's good. But it's even better when you get to verse number three and you start to say it for yourself. It's not just everybody else talking about what God's done for you. But verse three, the Lord hath done great things for us. It's an announcement. Hey, you want to know what God's done for us? Great things. Wonderful things. Marvelous things. God has been so good to us. I think sometimes, and I'll say this, uh, my girls are not in here right now. They're in the pastor's pals, but I'll say this. Sometimes for children, <laughs> and adults too, but children, it's easy to focus on the things you don't have. It's easy to focus on the things you don't get instead of focusing on all the things you do have and all the things you do get. And I want to tell you, if you focus on the things you don't have, you're missing out on all the goodness and blessings of what you do have and what God has given you. The song says, God is so good. He's so good to me. And that'd be a good announcement for you to make at the workplace and for you to make to your family and for you to remind yourself of God has done great things for us. God is so good. I see the act of God. It was a miracle. I see the amazement. They thought they were dreaming. They were in shock. I see the alleviation. God turned the captivity. He lightened their load. He, he gave them freedom instead and gave them joy instead in the announcement. But then I see in verse number four, the psalmist writes and says, turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. That word again is very interesting. I know some of you think the interesting part there is the south. That's good that that's mentioned in the Bible. It's good to know where, uh, it's good to know where the blessings are in the south, right? Amen. Oh, I'm sorry, Brother Mrs. Bybee. I didn't mean to throw that in there since you're visiting with us from Illinois. But it says again. It says, turn us again. Turn again our captivity. And here's the amazing thing about God is what he's done before, he can do it again. What he's done in the past, he can do in the present. And I'd like to give you two words that go along with that. God can make things afresh and anew. And that may be where you're at tonight. You say, yeah, God has done great things for me in the past. And I remember 20 years ago. I remember 35 years ago. I remember 50 years ago. Yeah, God did something good. Well, guess what? He could do it again. He's the God of yesterday. And he's the God of tomorrow but he's the God of today. Turn again. 
our captivity, O Lord. And then it says this, as the streams in the south. Bible scholars believe this is true, and I think this is, is very likely. But when you got in the southern regions there in the Middle East, it was a very dry and very arid climate. And there were many times there were riverbeds or creek beds that were so dry that there was nothing there. Now, there was, you could see where there used to be something. But the psalmist is saying, Lord, would you turn again the captivity? Would you do something again like when you send the rain? And when that rain falls and when that water flows and there was a place that was dry, there was a place that was barren, there was a place that used to be, there was a place that in the past had water, but now it's dry. Would you give that fresh and new? And would you give it again like you have in the past? And Maybe you're here tonight and maybe that's you spiritually. Maybe you're dry and you're barren. There's not the freshness in your Christian life. There's not the joy. There's not the closeness, there's not the relationship, there's not the excitement with, with the things of God like there used to be, and it's kind of, it's kind of gotten dry. Oh, I tell you, God can do it again, and God can let you experience His goodness now like you've experienced in the past. I see verses 5 and 6, I see an, an analogy. It says in verse number 5, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. The children of Israel, the children of Judah, they had some tears in captivity. They had sowed some seeds of tears and God gave them joy and God gave them blessing. But then it says in verse 6, you really can see it's an, an analogy of sowing and reaping because it's reinforced in verse 6. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed. Now, what do you do with seed? You plant it, right? You sow it. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That's the goal of planting. You want to have a harvest. You want to have something to show for it. And so the analogy here is of sowing and reaping. Of course, we know in the New Testament, the seed, and also in the Old Testament, but the seed is a picture of the Word of God. And when that seed is sown in your heart and in your life, can I tell you, it'll do something. It will grow. It will bring forth fruit. Galatians chapter 6, you don't have to turn there. You may want to jot down these verses. But it says in verse number 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. So what you sow, you're going to reap. Verse 8 says, He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. In verse 9, this is so good. It says, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know what the analogy is here? You may feel like you're ready to give up. You may feel like captivity is never going to end. And you might feel like you are in captivity and maybe, as I mentioned this morning, maybe it's a, a work thing or maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's financial, maybe it's health. 
You may feel like it's never going to end, but the Bible principle is true that what you sow, you will reap. And I understand we use that sometimes with sin, and we say when you sow uh, the seeds of the devil, you're going to reap a harvest of the devil. I understand that. But I'd like to say this, when you sow seeds of Bible reading and prayer and serving God and faithfulness and giving and walking with God and, and, and rejoicing and, and, and doing for others and serving. Can I, when you sow those seeds, can I tell you, there is going to come a wonderful harvest. And let us not be weary in well-doing. Lastly, I see the assurance. It's found in verse number six. You say, well, how do I know that's true? Well, number one, God said it. But number two, in case you were doubting, God says it's going to happen, and he uses the word and says, and it shall, that person shall doubtless, without a doubt, you can have confidence that God's word is true. And you can have confidence that if God could turn your captivity, if God could save your soul, guess what? He could save somebody else. And if God could work a miracle in your life, he could do it for somebody else. And you can go, the Bible says, and you can go with weeping, and you can bear precious seed, and you can sow the seeds of the gospel, and you can sow the seeds of your witness, and you can go out and you can sow those things, and you will doubtless, you'll come back. You won't be coming back empty-handed, but you'll come back with rejoicing bringing your sheaves with you. That's the goal. Now, sometimes we put God on a time schedule, don't we? I've been faithful for X amount of time and I haven't seen results yet. Well, maybe not. The harvest doesn't come overnight. And the harvest is not up to us. The harvest is up to Him. We just sow and we water and we work, and we pray, and we wait, and we trust God, and we say, God, I'm leaving it in your hands, and I'm trusting you to bring forth the harvest. And you know what's amazing? The Bible reminds us in Matthew chapter 9, it's a, it's a different passage. It has to do with laborers for the harvest. The Bible reminds us who's in charge of the harvest. Because Jesus said to his disciples, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest. I'm glad that's not on me. I'm glad that's not up to you. I'm glad we don't have that title on our door. I'm glad we don't have that title on our name tag. We're not the Lord of the harvest. We can leave the results up to God. We can just be faithful and do our part to sow. The Bible says we will reap if we faint not. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.